G'day, welcome to the New Spirit Podcast. My name is Shrek and I'm one of the co-hosts here. Today, not joined by Turbo, it's me and Trevor Ketchin. And today's episode is about doing your own reconnaissance from a boat. And we talk about sounders, equipment, how to think about it. We talk about charts, apps, websites. Um, there's questions in there from the New Spiro community and we did actually did a Facebook live video in the New Spiro community Facebook group. So um, if you're not in that group, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, I know Facebook's sometimes not the best place to be, but we've got a good group on there. There's about a thousand people in there now and uh, it's it's a really lively group. There's, no, there's only two dickheads in the group and that's me and Turbo. Everyone else is polite and nice and helpful so it's a really good place if you're just learning to spearfish i would encourage you to join new spare community on facebook but anyway like like i said the video went live in there and we fielded a whole bunch of questions from listeners just like you and uh so we dig right into recon today and look out in another few weeks too because there's another episode coming out um also with trevor recorded at the same time but it's a focus on spearfishing southern queensland which is the part of australia that uh, trevor and i live in and so some of the information you'll hear today is definitely like geographic ge- geographically specific to, to this area however there's some big principles ideas tips and tricks that um you can apply wherever you live in the world so reconnaissance 101 boat diving uh it's there's some powerful lessons in here from a guy that's you know been doing this for years and years and years so um you're in for a real treat today um enjoy today's episode before we get there just wanted to get into a couple of shout outs now on Patreon, I've had four brand new patrons sign up. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Spiro, you'll find our Patreon page. Now, basically, this is a listener community supporter page, and you can pledge at three different levels to support the podcast and, and the work we do here at Noob Spiro. Um, I'm excited to tell you that all of the funds that we raise from Patreon go towards funding trips for me and Turbo, so we can go out and we can meet... Um, listeners in different areas, hopefully do a couple of live interviews and go spearfishing. Um, so later this year, in August, September, we have penciled in a solid trip to Melbourne. And some of the logistics are already coming together. Um, and I'm excited to say we've got $212 in our Patreon account now. And there's, uh, how many, how many, pa- I think we've got 11 or 12 patrons now so thanks to every single one of you because you're definitely helping us to get out there and go spearfishing with some of you guys you know and um come out to your area do some talks and stuff like that so well i'm pretty excited about it so the four new patrons were brian carter andrew bleakley Daniel Exton and Frederick Fasthead. Thanks, guys, for signing up. So that's uh, absolutely magic. I'm really looking forward to heading down to Melbourne. And that will be hopefully just the first trip of many. I would like to get out and do three of these a year or, or, or even more if we, if we can if we can swing it with work and relationships and all the other stuff. But, uh, yeah, um, to go with the happy news, um, and not a good segue, um, the Umlaga Spearfishing Club in South Africa lost a diver in the last week. Um, I'm not too sure of the circumstances, and I, I don't like to dig in and, you know, the, someone's died, so I don't need to, um, you know, pull it apart and hassle the guy or whatever, but, you know, always try and dive safe and and uh, and, and buddy up, you know, follow that Ted Hardy, um, the, the bulletproof buddy protocol, you know, where... One leads, one follows, you know, and then you just have turnabout. But, uh, yeah, there's a, a great Spiro taken there by um, a Bryce Bryce Boyce, I believe his name is, from Umlaga Spearfishing Club. So pretty sad and uh, not uncommon in spearfishing. So, yeah, be safe, guys. Uh, so also, Shen says, Hey, Shrek and Turbo, huge fan of the show. Your content and book have been invaluable to the success and safety of my short spearfishing career. I was a bit like the Scottish bloke and didn't shoot a fish in my first 25 dives or something. Um, And he had a request to get Valentine Thomas back on and talk about her brand new cookbook. I've already reached out to her and she's keen as it's just getting the logistics organized. So but that that will be a good interview. And um, I'd encourage you to get online and check out the Valentine Thomas cookbook. Um, There's a French edition out already. I believe the English one's coming because she's French-Canadian. So, yeah, thanks for the recommendation, Shen. Awesome, man. Um, Without too much further ado, we'll get into this episode with Trevor. But as usual, if you've got any feedback for the show, hit me up, shrek at namespiro.com, and uh, I'd love to hear it. All good. Let's hook in. 
Today's Dynamite Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. That's right, the fine folks over at Adreno have been supporting the Noob Spiro podcast since about episode 18. And they help pay the bills around here. Just want to encourage you to check out spearfishing.com.au and use the code NoobSpiro. You can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200 But it's just a great online shopping experience. The reviews are phenomenal. If you want to check out a new spear gun, new pair of booties, new pair of gloves, someone's used them before, they've written a review, it's on their website, it's all there right for, there for you. Head along to spearfishing.com.au and thank you for shopping with it. Today's major sponsor... Adrena. G'day, New Spirit community. Today joined by Trevor Kitchen in the studio. Uh, it's a classy environment. Welcome to Trevor and his friend. Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to do this in two parts. First part is <laughs> Reconnaissance 101 boat diving. So, obviously, finding new ground is important, Trev. You yes. don't want to just be smashing the same old spots. Uh, definitely comes in handy. Uh, you'll find yourself getting more fish more often if you kind of move around a bit more. Uh, so, essentially, you'll find that if you're not going to the same areas all the time and you kind of spread what, well, spread out where you're going looking for different fish, you'll find a bit the spots you are hitting will stay healthier and have more tasty, tasty treats than the ones that you are kind of not hammering too much it also means you can find wonderful new things you can go between reefs which i think i've touched on on other things before and find areas in and between the reefs which hold some nice fish uh, you can start to learn the different pressure points of the individual reefs that you are diving <laughs> and eventually you it will improve your catch theoretically but i'm starting to ramble now so more questions okay um Okay, so you know, well, we just wanted a rationale for why guys should do um, reconnaissance, but like, um, how do they start? Obviously, there's a fair bit of equipment to get your head around. What's your kind of recommendations for someone starting to re do reconnaissance? Uh, well, it certainly helps with a boat, um, but even if you don't have a boat and you're wanting to start doing research at home, there's a lots of chart websites and applications you can buy now, which give you not exact details of what's there but you can kind of get the lay of the land before you head to an area kind of see where the high spots are the low spots are where you may get currents converging and all that kind of thing um, lots of people these days use navionics which is a decent one can be free or not free or expensive depending on what level you want to go to uh, but there's a lot of them out there uh, then when you do start going out having you don't have to have a spectacular sounder but it certainly helps Certainly helps. Um, lots of people these days oh. use navionics. Yeah, we broke something. We're, li we're, li <laughs> we're live on our own page. <laughs> Sorry. Quiet. Sorry, we're we're learning a new technological feature today. Yeah, I feel uh, like I feel like Ted Hardy. Stephen Kegels just said live the same time as Ted Hardy. Friendly competition. It's a it's a clean mistake, actually, Stephen. I didn't know Ted was going to go live, and uh, we tried to delay it, but we were meant to start like an hour ago, so just fired it up. And we're more attractive. Just look at how lovely and blue we are. You're definitely very attractive. <laughs> this is weird, watching myself at the same time, at another time. I kind of feel like I'm in Inception right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My sock puppet is absolutely attractive to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so, okay, so good. What about, um? so you get, you get on your boat, you've got a sounder. How do you use the friggin' thing? How do you learn to use it? How, well, did, you, how did you learn? Uh, trial and error, lots and lots of trial and error. So you get the settings to where you think, or it's easy for you to make out the difference in the bottom. Um, then a lot of drive over an area, look at the sounder, swim down, look at the bottom, and kind of remember the correlation between what you're seeing on the sounder and what you're physically seeing in the water. And then repeat and repeat, and eventually you'll work out that certain colors mean certain things and certain types of structure mean other things. Because every single display on a sounder is different. So it's very difficult to know one over another. But once you get the hang of your sounder, you'll find it'll be a lot easier and more reliable for you to read it. And as a spear fisherman, we have the advantage of physically being able to look at what the sounder is saying as well as just seeing the sounder. That sounds guesswork. That sounds like an awful lot of work. Yeah, it is. But once you get the hang of it, in the future, you kind of can somewhat know off what the screen is showing you, what is actually there. Okay, okay, yeah. cool. So... Would it, would it be even worthwhile going to some ground you know 
and seeing how it appears on the sounder and then going down and sort of cross-correlating it to give you some ideas or would you just go straight to some new type suspicious looking spots on the sounder? Oh no, certainly. If you've got an area that you've got a mental map of, that would be a great place to start, particularly with a new sounder. Go there and sound over areas where you know what the structure looks like mm. and watch what that shows on your, on your mm. sounder. I, I did watch your video on submerged psychos and you talked about like um, there's a whole bunch of fish shows on one reef and I mean I heard you mention it just before but I think it's worth rehashing um, and then you see a whole bunch of other guys a kilometre away on another patch of reef you're convinced that the ground between those two spots is well worth exploring always worth a look it's not necessarily always going to have something mm. but it's always worth a look because a lot of areas and structure will be connected somehow and mm. have some relation to each other so it's just good to look in and around and even out off the outsides of main reefs you usually find where current washes the sand away and exposes rocks in certain areas um, they can be worth an explore too and it's also good just to leave the line fishermen to their thing so they don't run you over um, <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. that the whole proverb that's in a million different religions is treat others how you would be treated can you do it with a sock puppet like yeah, with an accent no. no i can't do accents i always lose them halfway through but uh it's good to treat others sorry just give me a sec i'll just get this up there you go, there you go. so it's good to treat others how you would be treated yourself so if you see a line fisherman somewhere you're not going to want someone coming up on your spot and being like oh i'm a fish here you go away go i'm gonna ruin everything for you so you just let them have their day then later you go and fish and ruin it for them. You completely yeah. butchered Gandhi there. I love Gandhi. He was delicious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, when you when you buy a boat or, or and or a sounder, either it's going to come with one or you're going to buy one. Um, it comes with a manual, but we're all like younger generation. None of us have ever even opened a manual before. Um, what's the sort of your process? What would be your process for? just learning how the friggin' thing works. I mean, if you get sold it, hopefully the salesman's gonna walk you through some stuff, but is there videos on YouTube or, I mean, what's, what's the go there? Um, kind of depends on the sounder. There are a lot of tutorial videos on YouTube, which are good to watch. Um, if you have the time to read the manual, that's also quite good. And in certain areas, there are professional installers and people that can actually come out and do training days with you on the boat for certain brands and there's a few different places that can do that. I'm not very good off the top of my head of them. Okay. And they'll come out and tune your sounder for you and run you through the ins and outs and how it all works. But that's for some of the more expensive ones that are out of my budget. Yeah. But someday maybe. So you've got this this unit on the on your dash um, and that's where you see the information from, but the information is coming from the transducer, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of different configurations for that. Um, Obviously, you need to probably understand that before you begin to use it. A lot of trial and error, I found. I'm no expert on the placement of transducers, but I've moved mine quite a few times until I found a place where it could read generally at very high speeds okay. and still get a decent reading. It, it's very tricky. Every hull is going to be different. It's, um, it's a good one to go to, say, a marine electronics specialist and yeah. actually get their opinion, and they'll tell you roughly where on your kind of boat would suit the particular transducer you're looking at. It can oh, be a bit tricky. Oh. Um, your buddy, um, Ian. Brooks, Mr. Brooks. He asked a great question. He was very sincere. Um, <laughs> he said, what's latitude and longitude? I want to get into uh, GPS and getting your, getting your boat to actually rig correctly. How do you do that? Oh, it all depends on what datum you've got it. Ah, mine fell over. It all depends on what <laughs> datum you're set to. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people, depending on what datum you're on, will then depend what it's reading with relation to the latitude and longitude. Mm. Um, what do the numbers all mean? Exactly like where one, you two, are three, with relation dot. to your area on the planet. I'm not the best at explaining it. Yeah, yeah me either. That's why I asked you. Yeah, it, it, it can be good. And what a lot of people do who are worried about having their marks misplaced or stolen mm. will actually use a very unusual datum. So even if you steal their marks, it'll be a couple of hundred meters away from the actual area on ah, your datum. So, I think that's those marks you gave me. Yeah, what do you mean? I would never use a different datum. Uh, <laughs> it can be unsafe. You might drive uh, across the land. I love it how you play dumb too. That's great. <laughs> um, does little Sharky know more about the, the, 
the numbers. Latitudes and longitudes? Mm. Not really. So no. what is the, the datum is just sort of how your boat reads in relation to the satellites? Pretty much, and where your base point is. So at a lot of boat ramps, they'll have a sign there telling you that at this point on WSG or WGS, certain datum is where you should be. Okay. And you can change to that and just double check that your GPS is reading correctly. Because mm. um, if you're on a very incorrect datum, you can actually have bits of structure in completely the wrong place on your chart. So on the datum that we used to use about five years ago, which was very, very wrong, um, flat rock area and all the different rocks off strati, mm. it would tell us that, like, say, if we were diving the group, our boat would be showing up on top of the rock instead mm. of off to the side. So it, mm. it had disadvantages as well. Okay, cool. With all this trial and error, like we were saying, like you find a suspicious looking bit of ground on your sounder, we'll go back to that, and um, you decide that, okay, we've got two divers that are just dumb as dog shit, we're going to chuck them in and get them to do the legwork and actually see if the spot's worth diving. How, what does that process look like? Because obviously you've got current, wind, um, you know, where you're actually, your, your boat actually is in, in relation to the position your screen is telling you the structure is. So how, how do you sort of work that out? Well, it can be tricky, and one way I found, or my dinosaur friend has found, <laughs> is to leave your map fixed. So don't have it so your map's spinning around on the screen. A lot of guys seem to like that, and it is good if you're traveling long distances and wanting to stay in a straight line. Yeah, two hands. Wanting to stay in a straight line, it moves the map with relation to the direction you're heading. But mm. if you're trying to learn how to drift a certain area, mm it kind of screws you over because the map's always on a slight lag because it's trying to move with relation to your boat. So you can't actually see which way your boat is going whilst watching the divers going in a different direction. And it can be a bit tricky. I'll pull this down. I'm getting distracted. I, 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 I uh, was listening and kind of understanding. Can you explain it again? Uh, so if the map is fixed, yep. it'll show your position with true north, always at true north, yep. and the boat moving across the screen. Ah, so you yep, can yep, see... Yep. My boat has moved from the northeastern side down to the southwestern oh, yeah. side. And then you watch your divers and they've moved slightly in a different direction. You can kind of start making a mental map where you're heading, your boat's heading one way, they're heading another way. And then you can learn, okay, so I dropped them off at let's say point X and they drifted down to point Y. Mm. I need them more a little bit to the south 200 meters. So from where I started and moved, I'll move the boat to that point kind of trigonometry wise Ooh, Pythagoras. That, yeah, little triangle and yep. trying to get them so they actually drift over exactly the point you want them to be okay. uh, then the next one is learning the speed with the current and particularly when you're hitting small obstacles obstacles marks you want to have them diving so that when they get to the bottom of their drop yeah again more triangles lovely triangles remember yeah. grade 10 maths you thought was useless and never going to come in handy great for spearfishing did you make it to year 10 it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> so trigonometry is very helpful. Not the exact numbers, but just so you can start making mental maps in your head because their dive is, say, 20 metres mm. vertically, but they're also moving 10 metres horizontally. So the hypotenuse is the direction and the amount Ooh, that you need to actually work out damn. is where the mark is. So it comes in handy again, and it's all kind of basic things in your head. So if we skipped year 10, we're screwed? No, no, just get on the internet. There's lots of lovely documentaries now about Pythagoras. Yeah. And you can learn a little bit of your trigonometry, and then it'll come in handy for you. No, it makes sense. Like, I, I can kind of understand what you're saying. It's still like a needle in a haystack if you're, like, diving on one big boulder in the middle of a big sand patch, you know what I mean? And, and there's good current and good wind as well. Like, it sounds like, um, I've, I've never even really done it, to be honest, it with, sounds tricky. Yeah, with practice and someone you dive with often, you'll end up being able to also communicate to each other. Like say you landed on the drop, you know you were 10 meters south mm. of where you should have been, you let the driver know and then he can kind of mm. correct for that distance. You um, don't seem to use many words either. You're always just touching guys' bums and that. Is that part of the signaling No, no, process? that's entirely just motivational oh, okay. um, and for relaxation. No, oh. it, it all it kind of depends on who you're with. No wonder your diving's got so much better. You must be super relaxed. Always relaxed. With all the bum touching. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Daniel Mann asked a really good question. He says, um, does Trev use a systematic approach to sounding new areas like grid covering, concentric circles, etc., etc.? That's a great question. And yes, when we are out exploring areas where we want to find something, we'll literally just be sometimes just marking a grid. And it's what I did many years ago on a local area called the Barwon Banks. And I just would go out there at night and just drive 
and then move up north about 50 metres and then just drive back across the reef, move north 50 metres, drive and then just slowly cover it and mapping out all the high spots. So you can definitely do that. In saying that, some of the best marks we've ever found, like have been just when we're not paying attention, being silly or just mm. sitting on the boat relaxing and it's just drifted in a random direction and all of a sudden there's something on the sounder. Like we found a plane off North Stradbroke Island oh, a while wow. back. And all we were doing was just being lazy, sitting on the boat, having a laugh, and then just this little lump came on the sand and we went, oh, no, we'll have a look at that. So I'm down and, oh, it's a plane. So you, you never know, but, yeah. When I go out specifically to explore, we'll usually yeah, use, like, a square grid pattern and work that way just to, so you can keep track. I've tried concentric circles, but I never seem to be able to get them more circular. They always end up going in, like, this yeah, yeah. weird spider webby shape. Well, it's not like you have a... Like I remember when I did my scuba diving instructors together and they teach you all different um, search and recovery patterns. Mm. And, and um, one of the ways to do the concentric circles is to have a rope fixed on the bottom and then you know move out half a meter and do a lap and then move out another half meter. I think that was one of the ones. You, you don't have that on the surface of the ocean. You've got current, wind, and um, you know all of these sorts of things to contend yeah. with. So there's no real central point to work off apart from your datum, yeah. which is probably not ideal for that. Depending on what it's set to. If you're set to the right datum, you could definitely, yeah, use it. But if you're oh, set yeah. to the wrong one, it can be a bit difficult for you. Um, just wanted to apologise to Ted. We interrupted his the tail end of his live video. We um, do love you, by the way. I, I only recently heard about your page, and I've got to go and have a look. It sounds brilliant what you're doing, particularly the safety part. Yeah, freedivingsafety.com. I was just spruiking it to Trev before we got on air. And... Um, New divers definitely need to head along freedivingsafety.com. It's a free course and you learn yeah, no, heaps. Brilliant. You get to see a real blackout and just learn some um, straightforward um, but highly actionable intel and, yeah, for no, starting a spearfish. I hadn't heard of it and yeah, it's very good because the mm. safety side of things is something that a lot of clubs are trying to get across but we just don't have that broad spectrum of audience or ability to do it. So to have a free one out there is absolutely brilliant. No, keep it up. Do you want to replicate some of the best dives that you've ever experienced and capture some of those elusive species that only show up at certain times during the year? You need to go to Amazon and get yourself a Spiro Log, created by none other than Shrek and Turbo. Along with help from three experts that we've had on the show, we had Pat Swanson from New Zealand, Grant Ladle from Scotland, and Kevin Daly from the UK. These guys got on board to help me create and craft a spearfishing log that can help you to replicate those days that stay strong in your memory, but maybe they stay strong in your memory, but you've forgotten some of the variables that culminated in that successful day. So you can capture these details every day, every time you go diving with a hundred templates in the Spiro log available on Amazon now. Hey Noobers, it's uh, Jeremy here from Spearing Magazine with an, uh, with an update for you guys. Shrek and Turbo have been doing such a great job with uh, telling guys about Spearing Magazine that we've actually sold out of most of our back issues and catalogs. But uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, we have an international subscription available just for you guys. Yeah, from Spearing Magazine. I'm Jeremy Campbell. Thank you, guys. Go to spearingmagazine.com. Check out the uh, international subscription. Oh yeah. Okay, so just we're moving away from recon for a sec, but I just wanted to go into you've got a you've got a mark right that you're going to. You've explored this ground previously, and um, you, you've got. Maybe you do have an idea about what the current's doing because of all your past experience, but let's just pretend you're new and you don't. You're going to this mark. Um, how do you actually get your divers on it? Um, maybe not the first time, but you know, within a couple. I mean, you walked over it before. I just want to go over it again. Yeah, uh, it, it depends on the day and who you're with. Uh, mm. Some One thing that we've developed and practiced over many, many years, and I don't recommend it if you haven't tried it before, is we'll breathe up on the back of the boat, roll in and do a quick dive to see roughly where it is and how it's all working. Oh, yeah. But that took years of just practicing and practicing because as soon as you hit the water, you've got to get no longer get that shock of hitting the water. you kind of got to train your body just to be as if it was already floating in the water. Yeah. Uh, the other one is if you've got what some people do, 
uh, a newer diver with you who you're not so stressed about getting really nice fish or they've bothered you during the day, which <laughs> doesn't really happen to me very much, but it's usually me who has to do it on other people's boats. So we're like, oh, yeah, quick, you just jump in. We'll do, you do a quick drift. We'll see where you land, how you go, and just let us know what's happening. So the first few drops, you let nice. someone else do it, and they'll come nice. up going, nah, missed it, missed it, missed it. Then once you start to narrow it down, then you go, okay, now you, Bodie. Yeah, you, Bodie. And then they get in, and Let's then be they honest. start getting the fish. When you're green as... When you're green as you you you're, not, you're just keen to be in the water. So if oh, you're definitely. the crash test dummy, you, you, you're probably going to be happy doing that. Oh, yeah. And it's always good to have two or three. Always try and have at least two people in the water because it's good. Yeah. You've got to have someone watching your back, and yeah. particularly if you're doing the the exploring drops. And even if you miss that rock that you intended to hit, and this has happened to me hundreds of times, even recently it happened again. Mm. The current went west instead of heading south. Did the dive when I thought I should have hit the rock. Hit a completely different rock even better than the rock that I wanted to hit. <laughs> so then you mark that rock. So even if everything goes horribly wrong, sometimes you can find things you never even knew were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I, I've done I've done that before, and I think one of, one of the dud marks you gave me, I actually dropped down, there was a huge tiger shark on the bottom, and it was just sand. But it was cool just to see, yeah, nice. you know, this big tiger shark. I was no, like... No, that was the mark for the tiger shark. It wasn't a dud mark. It was <laughs> no, tiger shark. <laughs> um... Craig Hampson asks if you like it deep. Uh, well, yes, 110%. Unfortunately, I had a bit of a incident uh, physically, and my spine doesn't work as well as it should, and it's always very, very sore. But one advantage I've found with freediving is when I'm deeper than about 20, 25 metres, because of the way your body compresses at depth, it actually takes the pressure off the area where I have my injury. So for those ah. 10, 15 seconds, I am not in pain. So that's something that... I do very much enjoy about being deeper than mm. a certain amount. Um, it also kind of is a bit of cheating on my part because when that pain comes off, I instantly relax, which is why I get that bit more bottom time when I'm past a certain depth. Mm. So, yes, I do like it deep, very deep. Mm. <laughs> the, this con uh, conversation is featuring quite heavily um, with regards to we've been using metric system and we're talking about these areas like outside Brisbane where we deal with a lot of current all the time. Um, it's still relevant to all other areas of you know the world uh, and spearfishing, but um, maybe we need to keep it a little, keep that in mind. Um, Kelly Kemp though, he says, how do you get such a twisted mind? Just just quickly. Well, I've always been this way. Um, oxygen deprivation probably doesn't help. Uh, that's probably extending the the different but no i spent a long time in my life attempting to be normal <laughs> uh didn't work out so well for me people saw through it very quickly very easily uh so nowadays i just kind of accept what i am and who i am yeah and just roll with that and yeah. people might like it people might not like it but the wonderful thing about the internet and the world is if you don't like it you, you can else. just watch something else it's but they good. don't though eh? they don't i find that too like get these haters and they just want to get on a wagon and, and follow you oh, oh, you don't seem to cop too much of it though. like yeah, submerged psychos has attracted its own its own very unique following there's a delete button it's wonderful you just delete the yeah, person yeah. and then yeah. they, they no longer exist exactly yeah exactly that's probably why we've got three people watching this but <laughs> <laughs> we love three uh, of you carl baker said what are the best apps books and blogs to find epic spots um we're probably again going to keep this you know, I'm not sure about America um, and South Africa. I've got no idea. New Zealand and Australia are a little bit of a different kettle of fish, though. Um, what are the apps you've found to be super useful? For finding specific spots, none so far. Because even when, like, say, you're using Navionics and there's user-updated marks, a lot of those are added by people specifically to drive you away from where they're actually getting the fish. Uh, so you'll go check this mark that's meant to exist and it'll be sand and nothingness. Um, a lot of websites used to exist and still kind of do that gives you a bunch of different marks, but you'll notice that the latitude and the longitude always just end with either two zeros or a single zero, which means that it's, it's grain of salt. It's like, oh, it's somewhere in that 100 meter square. Good luck, have fun. Or that 500 meter square. Yeah, so there's, there's no real specific websites for marks, like exact marks. Mm. But if you go on a lot of the different forums and chat with different people over time, you'll learn kind of general areas that you can go to have yeah. a look at. And the charts are probably your best bet. It's gotten a lot more accurate yep. than when I first started out. When I started out, your top of the range charts were pretty much 
there's a circle for Hutchies, which is a Brisbane Reef. Then there's a circle for Flinders and a circle for Smiths. And then nothing else existed. Yeah. Whereas nowadays you've got contour lines and all sorts of more information than we ever had access to, which is, makes it a lot easier, particularly looking around. Okay, so we'll get to charts in a sec. But, um, you know, going around forums and some of these other websites, you can get some clues and maybe some general areas for these reefs. And you can apply all these recon skills and go and investigate them, I guess. Yeah, so it's kind of, um, I can't think of the right way to put it, but you're kind of using Chinese whispers to your advantage. Yeah. You may not get the best information, but let's say you get seven or eight tiny bits of information about a reef and you can kind of put the more trustworthy bits of that information together and then go start exploring where you think it may or may not be kind of thing. Use some like Poirot powers of deduction. I guess so. Or you, you can look around for other boats using spots, but that's pretty dodgy and I don't recommend that because not only will you get a bit of a bad reputation, mm. uh, it, some people get angry. And mm. a lot of line fishing spots don't make the best spear fishing spots and kind of vice versa. Mm. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I got put on at some really good spots by a line fisherman and I quickly learned that they're not, sometimes they don't even pay attention to structure because oh, um, they catch fish where there's nothing sometimes. Yeah. And it's bizarre, just like, how does that even work? Uh, depends on the fish. So certain fish like snapper and up north, your reds and things, when there's low current, they actually move off the structure and feed on the sand. So mm. the line fishermen will get, they do the same thing as what spearers can do and what I would recommend and what you can get from Noob Spearer, little books. Mm. And you fill in the information you learn. Uh, so, Spiro Lark. Yeah. On the day, it was this moon phase, this tidal phase, this mm. amount of current, the wind was going in this direction, and the fish mm. were here. Mm. Uh, same thing for line fishermen. So they'll go, oh, yeah, no, it was, let's say, this is all just hypothetical words. I don't know line fishing. Let's say it was two days after the new moon. The snapper were on slack water. The snapper were 100 metres southwest of the reef. And they float their little baits down, and they get the snapper midwater feeding. Now... For spear fishermen, doesn't work that way. You go south of the reef to chase snapper when they're there. As soon as you make that splash in the water, the snapper are gone. Mm. So yeah, it can be very different between the two, but you can definitely learn things from line fishermen, and they can learn things from spear fishermen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of knowledge out there to learn. Mm, cool. Hey, the, the other thought I'm having is, is like a guy like you that's spent you know days and weeks doing reconnaissance has probably got just a plethora of marks. You've got hundreds if not thousands of marks and most of them useless yes how do you label them though and how do you categorize them how do you you know in the future how do you make use of all this information you've done how do you sort of um table it and keep it safe so that other people can't exploit it and and, and but how do you sort of keep it straight in your own mind uh, nowadays i name things they can be silly names normal names um but that's only recently and purely because I never used to. We just would have pages of marks and you just kind of could remember which ones were the better ones on random numbers and just gluts of dots everywhere. Um, <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I've forgotten. Yeah, that's so, all, that's all thing. yeah, there's a lot of times where we're like, oh, yeah, no, I've got a really good mark, but I can't remember which one of these 19 dots is. Yeah, was. yeah. Uh, so, no, these days we add silly little names and ah, yeah. that way we can keep track. And we also like, mark a lot of things don't or bad or weed or rubble or something ah, when yep. you go down and check a spot that's never gonna really hold anything spectacular yeah um because big, what we used to do and bull shark but no well we've got one area we just call shark rock um but you don't tell people that until after they've dove it ah, they get nice, a bit worried nice. yep. um, but yeah because what we were finding is we delete a mark because it was bad mm. and then a year later you'd be exploring and checking the same mark you deleted a year ago and going oh that's right <laughs> So we also mark the things that aren't worth checking again, just to save future time. Okay, cool. Um, rip charts. Uh, you, we briefly spoke about it before. Is that, a, is that something worthwhile? Oh, it's brilliant. If you have the money, I don't. Uh, but it can give you a lot of information. It can give you like chlorophyll count, which will let you know what the surface is like. It gives you the currents, the tides, oh, wow. everything. Uh, but it costs a lot of money to upkeep. I use a few of the different free apps like Windy TV, a few of the surfing, surf chasing apps that exist because you yeah. kind of go to the opposite. So when a windsurf is going, oh, it's going to be the best day ever, stay home, have a nap. When they're like, oh, the weather's horrible, that's when you start to pay a bit more attention. Yeah. 
You used to go out and everything, though. Yes, that was pre-destroying my spine. And I'm no. not going to say going out and everything may not have helped with keeping a healthy spine, um, but, it, yeah, I can't do it as much anymore. Completely unrelated to your spinal injury. Completely, completely. Definitely had nothing mm. to do with it, yeah. Okay, so surfing and windsurfing websites. We've talked about rip charts. How do you actually learn to read charts? As in the actual like the, the old graphs, school old school nautical the, charts like even the new stuff like the navionics or the rip charts or what do we got here windy windy tv's another one you suggested uh talk to someone who is in commercial fishing or works offshore on boats is the way they kind of taught me um i was never good at reading through the books and learning the exact way to see the highs and the lows and how they interact with each other but just over talking to people that spend a lot of time on the water all day every day they kind of can teach you in a way that dumbs it down a lot okay and that's very helpful i'm still not very good at teaching it yeah um but yeah just learning how the different weather patterns kind of relate to each other and having, having an educated guess and then you can also look at the different graphs on the different websites and use their educated guesses with your educated guess to try and get a bit of an idea of what's going on right. uh, necessarily won't work ever well, I'll say it won't work 100% of the time. I've had days which are meant to be horrific mm. where we've been out there sitting in a mill pond and there's no wind and other days where it's meant to be a beautiful, calm day and next thing you're sitting in the middle of a storm and you smash your windscreen and crack your boat. <laughs> it's always just an educated guess. Weather likes just doing the opposite to what it should. Yeah. A lot of people dislike Seabreeze and Willy Weather and some of these other apps. They use bomb data. And part of the reason why people like them is they're extremely user-friendly. Yes. They are absolutely, they render the information in a way that's just perfectly legible and great to understand. However, sometimes their predictions seem to be quite shit. Well, it depends on how far out you're looking at their predictions. So, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but a lot of these websites are, because they're free, which is brilliant, they make their money through their advertising. So, they want to give you the nicest possible version of the interpretation of the data uh, particularly a long way out from let's say a weekend because then you're going to go on there and you're like oh the weather's going to be good and then you get excited and you may look at the advertising and go oh well, the weather's going to be good i'll buy a surfboard um <laughs> but as you get closer that, and closer that is a huge conspiracy very thing. yeah no it's no, extremely that's, loose and the, fast. the entire world is not about making you buy things you weren't initially going to buy <laughs> uh, but yeah as you get closer to the the time frame, then they're going to become a lot more reliable, and that's also purely because of the fishing. Yeah. Pardon? No, it's just name dropping some products oh, no. that yes, people can buy. Yes, yeah. no, you can. And then as you get closer, you'll actually get a lot more accurate reading. And as I'm trying to think, I'll just Shrek. call you Shrek. Yeah, I won't use your real name. You can you use my real badly. name. Um, as Shrek was saying, it's just an idea from the data, and it's just mm. their interpretation. So, like everything. Data can be interpreted a million ways and it can also mm. be skewed to whatever you need it to say. So it's always good to take 10 different websites' interpretations, mm. then make your own interpretation from their interpretations. Mm. But What weather apps do you use personally? Uh, I've got the Windy TV app, which is good because it'll actually show you... Um, trying to think of the right way. So instead of just having the highs and the lows, you can turn it onto a point where it'll give you arrows mm. and colours that show you the wind's heading this way because mm. of this pressure and it's doing this speed. And then you can zoom right out and see it on like a worldwide, world, bleh, worldwide scale mm. and then zoom in to see your local. So you can kind of see how patterns will change and that kind of thing. Yep. I also use Seabreeze because it is just a very quick, easy one. You can be like, oh, look, the arrows are red. That's bad. Or depends on which way you have it set. Mm. Uh, another one is I can't remember what it's called, but it's a windsurf windsurfing one okay. that yeah kite surfer showed me, and it's quite good. It's a lot more detail on the wind side of things. Swells useless from that page, but they they spend a lot more time focusing on the wind and what the wind's uh, going to yep, do. Yep, yep. So um, like subject matter experts with the wind yeah. because that's what they focus is. Yep. Oh yeah, no, they love going fast. Yeah, scares me what they do with. Oh those yeah, things. yeah. Um, and another one is just, yeah, your, your bombs, so your, your government-run sites. Because they're, they're very, this is the data, there you go, that's that's all we're going to give you. And they're always more on the side of caution than a lot of the privately owned ones. So you kind of ah, yeah, okay. find the middle ground between the two. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've sort of focused on the minutiae, if you like. Um, Good word. 
I've been looking lately at like big topographical maps of the ocean floor um, of this particular end of Queensland. Do you ever do that? I've tried, and if you can become friends with someone who works for the CSIRO, they've got 3D mapped yeah. bottoms, and it's brilliant to look at. Um, then they usually find out you're a spear fisherman and looking for the information to go and kill the things they're studying, <laughs> so they, they tend to withdraw the offer after a while. But no, if yeah. you can get access to those topographical 3D maps, it, even if it's not for a reconnaissance thing, they're really interesting to look at, say, yeah. and imagine what the coastline was like pre-ice age and that kind of thing well the other thing is is like when you see this topographical map and you see like seamounts and you see like these huge canyons and stuff like that it's really amazing like it oh, gives yeah. you an enhanced perspective of the ocean but the other thing is is it does is you can when you start learning about the prevailing currents like seasonal currents and water temps and you know past history is kind of um, a good indication of what will happen the next year do you ever do that as well like we're, we're talking like real macro stuff here but I, I tried to and everything just changes unfortunately with weather patterns like you're like oh yeah no last year this season the wahoo were on for this month and then the next year comes around there's no wahoo and then all of a sudden in the middle of winter there'll just be a million wahoo um yeah, so no, right. I, i've tried but i can't quite yet Fisher, right, get my head about around it yeah if you if someone more educated than me could probably do it quite well but i'm just a this is tradey that just kind of gets <laughs> rough ideas and goes. But it's part of the the beauty and delight of the ocean, I think, is how unpredictable things are. And then you add fish in as well, and there's just so many variables you can't account for. Oh, most definitely. It's a completely different world. That's the easiest way to look at it is mm. we are com as far out of our element as we can be, apart mm. from in space, mm. trying to hunt and catch something that's in its element. So so do you do you track data like, like we kind of do like recommend Spiros do like with um Spiro log you know like you oh definitely um for years I used to fill out just a little like old diary of my own and then it went went missing somewhere oh no um and then I tried to do it in my head for a long time and that worked okay until I got old yeah and then my memory is not as good as it was so I'm yeah. back writing it all down again but shark's memory is good so. oh perfect sharks never forget well dinosaurs never forget that's a dinosaur I thought it was I don't know it's kind yeah, of yeah, you know, it's a dinosaur. Yeah, it's not a shark. What am I thinking? It's we'll, just we'll blue it up, and it's we'll got big teeth. We'll put it up teeth. for a vote yeah. later, and yeah. you can all decide whether it's a shark <laughs> or a dinosaur. Here, we'll put it here like a floor mat. There we go. Um, El Nino and La Nina, like these big weather weather patterns, do they influence things? Have you seen some change over your time spearfishing? Is that something that influences it? I'm sure they do, but it's a bit over my head, okay. unfortunately. I would I could make things up about it yeah and i have inferences that i've taken of yeah. what i think it affects but it has no scientific backing at all no no I'm, and i was after just purely anecdotal stuff ah, well i know that when we were in our last whichever the one is without the rain uh we, Alan, got, you know, I think. Yeah, we got a lot of very good viz inside morton bay mm. uh, downside was there was no fresh water for drinking or washing clothes or that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then when you had the floods at the end of that very large drought period that was when people were getting their best big barra and threadfin salmon and things like that because there was a lot of large fish that kind of got pushed out from where they were going to be because they'd spent so much time caught up the streams because they couldn't go anywhere or do anything yeah when that big push of fresh came through it kind of put them into areas where spiros could actually get them so ah, okay. it definitely can affect the fish you are going to get and when they're going to turn up but why and how i don't know okay today i've got a sweet offer for you to go with this free episode of the new spirit podcast I've got access to some free courses how cool is that go to noobspirit.com forward slash ted that's Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving, a frequent guest on the No Spirit podcast, has got several free courses available at nosparrow.com forward slash Ted. Check it out, Freediving Safety. There's a full video course about how to avoid shallow water blackout, how to be a good buddy, all the fundamentals of just being a good safe Spiro, and it's all free. Check it out, nosparrow.com forward slash Ted. There's another one in there as well about how to take a 20 to 30% bigger breath, which will give you more fuel, more time on the bottom, and uh, make you a more effective spirit. There's also a whole lot of other courses there as well. Check them out, get a 15% discount, newspirit.com forward slash tech. Today's episode is brought to you by Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators like the Noob Spiro to get paid. Basically, you support us per episode at any level that you choose. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Noob Today's episode powered by patron listeners just like you.
All right, um, another thing that people don't consider a lot, and I didn't come across until I'd probably been spearfishing three or four years, was just surface temp, ocean, ocean temp. Um, do you, is that something you track? I, I just kind of go out and see what's there on the day. If you're mm. chasing certain fish, like wahoo and Spanish, that like warmer waters before they'll move through and dolphin fish, then mm. definitely keep an eye on it. But what we get off southeast Queensland, and it could be very different other places around the world, is our surface temp can just be the top five meters of the water. Mm. And then under that can be a completely different, like yeah. two, three, four degree changes, particularly when we get upwellings and cold water and thermoclines around. So mm. it can be, you can look at it and go, oh, it's gonna be an epic day, get out there. And the top 10 meters are epic, 40 meters viz, as far as you can see sideways. Yeah. But you just can't see down. Yeah, so you hit that. It can that be a bit trickier. Green off, layer of just cold joy. Cold, delicious goodness. <laughs> um, before you mentioned chlorophyll, um, is that how does that affect viz? Can you can you? From my understanding, which may be a hundred percent incorrect, is yep. it's the particulates in the top column of the water. Okay. So let's say coral spawn or something like that. When you go out to dive and there's really clean water underneath, sometimes, but the top's just this filthy layer. Mm. Uh, so in shallower water, it can kind of allow you to know how bad the viz is going to be. But that's, it's not the be-all and end-all. It can just be the very top part of the water that is dirty. Okay. Someone said, oh, Rowan says, can you keep the... I'm just having a look back through yeah, some questions. Right. Can you turn the planes down a bit, please? Hey, Pat. Um, who else have we got here? There's a few of the boys watching. Um, good stuff. If you, if you have any other questions, guys, just chuck them in while we're still going. Um, we're going to... We've got about five minutes left, and then I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, But... Um, I guess legal stuff is another thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about Australia specific and let's do Southeast Queensland specific just quickly. Um, where are some websites guys can find out about zoning and, and just can you give us some information about public appreciation zones and things like that? I can do my best. Um, so when you're spearfishing in Southeast Queensland, you've got to look out for green zones where you can't be and public appreciation zones, which are state run ones where you can line fish, scuba dive, whatever you want. Just you can't spearfish because we're the devil. Um, and unfortunately, the websites are very difficult to go through, and usually you have to go through all the different, like a 300 page document to find the small section which pertains to what you're actually wanting to know, and it just gives you the GPS coordinates for the boundaries. It can be very difficult, very time consuming, and very easy to misinterpret. Uh, what I would recommend, and what I have done for the last probably five years, is if I'm going to an area I haven't been before, I contact whoever the most close department for fisheries is. Yep. And I ask them directly, where can you, where can't you, what are the boundaries, how do you do okay. this? And they'll tell you the exact information for their area. Uh, most of them are more interested in telling you where you can't go up front than having to go out there and find you and get mad at you. So now that's the easiest way I've found. But for New South Wales, they've got it all mapped out. It's quite good. So if you type in for a lot of the places, not all, on the internet, where can you spear um, Tweed River? It'll actually come up with like a five-page document and it's all mapped out and highlighted and kind of shows you where you can and can't a lot easier and more visually. Question for Mr. Fico from Duncan. Um, have you done any diving in NZ? No, um, I would love to. Unfortunately, with my condition, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I can't fly for very long distances at all. So unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever have a chance unless I'm lucky enough to find someone that can like chop me up and fix certain issues. But hopefully one day I've, I love the idea of it. The, the diving sounds awesome, mm. um, but I just probably won't get a chance. Um, as Rowan and Duncan and Pat can attest to, they're a lot friendlier towards bum touching in New Zealand. Than oh Australia, no, I'll, I'll fit so in fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, you'll fit in well. I'll just wear a different coloured mask and no one will know who I am. Rowan asks, um, roller or standard and why? It's um, <laughs> the question. I'm very biased towards standard. So a roller gun is a wonderful idea and a good bit of engineering. Uh, it gives you the maximum potential of band stretch out of a short gun. So for a short gun, it has advantages. So instead of you having the two rubbers at the front of the gun that you pull down and load, you've got one rubber on one side, one rubber on the other side, and you can give them the maximum potential. The tricky part is to load them to their maximum potential, you've got to have a very expensive and quality rubber that can handle being at 380 poor 400% stretch. Mm. And you also have to physically be able to pull those rubbers. Uh, I find it a lot easier with a standard gun just to be able to make them a bit shorter and load it up and you're good to go. Now, 
The roller does redirect the way that the forces are applied on the gun when you fire, so it feels differently and it feels smoother, because instead of the gun pulling towards the end of the gun and pulling away from you, the forces are pushed back into your hand, which gives it a lot more stable um, impact area. But there's just so many variables on a roller gun. Any little thing goes wrong, and you're stuffed for the day. Mm. And you have to really think them through, and it's just such a harder one to rig. Mm. Personally, I just stick with a standard two rubber gun and have a lot less problems. And if something breaks, five minutes, I'm fixed, I'm back in the water, I'm good. Yeah, there's definitely been an argument to be made for simplicity. But basically what I got from what you said then was bum touches like standard guns and, you know, like more of us hardcore guys, we like rollers. It, there's, it's up to you. Uh, you're, what I've found... Um, with people that I've met and dove with is people that dive a lot of the time are using a very standard, simple setup. Yeah, you know. People that don't get to dive as often are using a lot more complicated setups. Uh, as for why that is, I do Ooh, not know. Oh, you're suggesting I'm an amateur. That's good. I like no, that. No, dive less often. <laughs> amateur, not amateur. I, I can't judge. I haven't really had a good spearfishing session in a month plus. Really? Now, just because with my back i can't go out in 25 knots anymore or even much more over 15 so i yeah I, I do other things to get wet pat suggested that i love a good bum touch he's right and then he asked um reels versus reg line oh that's awkward <laughs> you loved it uh reels versus reg line um entirely depends on what you're wanting to do and how long you've been doing it if you're just starting out I don't recommend reels. There are a lot more things to complicate your experience when you're starting out that you don't need to have that hassle, that problem, mm. that issue. You won't get tangled up. You, you can lose your gun. It, it, there's just a lot more things that can go wrong mm. with a reel than with a rig line now. Let's say you get snagged on the bottom and you're on a rig line. Let go of your gun, swim up, your float's there. Like It's not the end of the world. You don't have to panic. You don't have to quickly get your knife yeah, out and yeah. cut it away. You don't have to go down and untangle it. You can just get your float and deal with it. How good is it shooting a big kingy with a real gun and it just going ballistic? It, it is good up until it gets to the end of your line. Yeah. You're not at the surface yet. And oh. if you've got a good dive buddy, they can kind of come down and help you and back you up. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the float is just, it's a good way to start out. People can see where you are. It's easy for you not to lose your gun. It's easier to land fish. Uh, when you start getting into a bit more heavy structure diving, the rig line can be a pain in the ass. Mm. And also if you're diving deep in very high current, the rig mm. line can be very difficult. So as you get a bit more experience and you're feeling a bit more at ease, definitely start moving up to the real gun. But yeah, I would always recommend starting out on a rig line. Got three Kiwi bum touches watching. So, do you think that people are less inclined to use a roller because of bad experiences that they or others have had in the past? Well, it entirely depends on the roller. It's a very tricky one. If you don't, which Duncan definitely knows what he's doing, he sets up some brilliant rollers. But if you don't know how to set them up and you're just trying to guess, it's a bit tricky. And you can very easily make a roller gun horrific. Like if you cut mm. the end off your old gun to shorten it and your cut's less than half a millimetre out of square, it's going to shoot around a corner. So you really have to set them up just right and the balance is very important so yes it could definitely affect someone's decision and like everything bad news travels a lot faster than good news so it could definitely warp someone's perspective if they've had a lot of friends with bad experiences with a roller gun yeah. and that also almost always comes down to how that gun's set up oh actually just we're just going to go back to re recon for a little while um good questions on the rollers guys um it's an area of fascination Duncan, I'm pretty sure you're trying to manipulate Pat to um, get a roller, which is which is always good. Um, so I think we've got like two New Zealand champs on there, and then you know this experienced gun border. So they're asking good questions, though. Brilliant, questions. but um, much better divers and gun setups than me. Yeah, um, Reese asks, um, what would you be looking for on the sounder? Um, he says also we have calm conditions often um, with rough weather later in the day. Do you deal deal with a Let's just do these two questions simpler. What do you, how do you, how do you, do you go diving early in the morning and miss the rough weather in the afternoon is basically what he's asking. But first, what are you looking for on the sounder? It entirely depends on the sounder, but deviations in the structure and stark deviations in the structure are quite good. Um, Give us an example. Well, it depends on how calm or how rough the day is. So if it's a calm day and you see, say, a half a metre deviation on the bottom of the sounder that's a nice little rock that's there and you go and check it mm. if you see a half a meter deviation on a rougher day that's just your boat unfortunately going half a meter up and then mm. half a meter down 
So it all depends on how the conditions are for what type of structure you're looking for. Um, also what sounder. So if you've got the side scans and the chirp and all this stuff, you can actually see deviations in the bottom that are undercut and that kind of stuff once you get the hang of what to look for. Okay. Um, I personally just still use the really old ones which just show you the shape of the bottom and then a bit of coloration for the density of the fish life around it. And on those, yeah, you're just looking for marks in the structure that could be something that particularly off southern Queensland somewhere the fish can hide out of the current if that makes sense so if you can see a ledge that's on the back side or the front side of the current it'll either cause a pressure edge that gets the nutrients to up well and then all the fish to come and feed on them or you can find somewhere that once the fish are finished feeding and are tired can go and hide from that current yeah mangrove jacks any fish gets tired it's like us at a certain point you, you've had enough work for the day and you just want to rest mm. What are some species you're going to find on the front edge of a reef where the current is is pushing up in this in this bait? What are, um, can you sort of maybe, maybe it's again going to be Queensland specific, I guess. But yeah, um, southeastern Queensland, a lot of your predatory fish like the upwelling, because that's where the smaller I don't know the right word, but the very tiny animals are getting pushed up higher in the column and getting a bit disorientated and churned around. Aye. So your bait fish come in to feed on them and then your predators come in to feed on the bait fish and you just end up with areas of pressure where everything's coming to feed. Yep. And then once everything's fed, it'll usually push down into eddy currents or back currents or into caves to just try and get out of that current. Mm. Uh, on a day with very low current, completely different. They can just be anywhere. Um, yeah. They'll just swim out on the sand and look for food. Um, and then as for the rough in the afternoon. Yeah, and Rowan's added to that. He said, what's your preference? Early morning, midday? What's your kind of... Uh, I like to just go out from sunrise to sunset when I get the chance. <laughs> Me so too. I don't really have a preference. Um, as for what we used to just call running the gauntlet, when you're like, oh, look, we got 0 to 5 here, and there's a storm coming. Which could come at three, could come at four. I'm going to think it's going to come at four. <laughs> and then at 11 o'clock, you're getting absolutely destroyed. So it, it can have negative effects. And some days, yeah, it stretches out further back and you get a whole day diving in without getting trashed. But it's always good if you are going to go out on those days when you are, oh, there's going to be rough weather in the afternoon. Just whoever's boating, keep an eye on the clouds because you'll usually see these big, tall cloud fronts. And you can be like, oh, but there's the angriness we might head in now so it's just a good good to just keep an eye on what's happening around you if you are thinking that there is going to be bad weather coming in while you're out there mm. with um before you were talking about like um you know looking for differences in the bottom structure and stuff like that like in queensland it's quite often sandy bottom and you you'll get that and we talked a little bit about coming across the front end of a reef where you've got upwelling and stuff what about when you're over areas of like big reef and rock and stuff like that what are you looking for there like where it's all reef and you're just looking for something distinctive, what's something that you would want to, what are some like triggers that you'll yeah. definitely um, want to explore? So on a day with high current, it's quite good because you can kind of sit there and you'll see where the water is churning more on the reef mm. than where it isn't. So that'll let you know where the, the pressure is hitting the reef and being pushed up. So that gives you a good idea to where to start exploring mm. if you're looking just for the pressure edges. Um, otherwise, bait. Wherever the food is, is where eventually the predator will be. So you get your sounder tuned so that it can pick up bait balls and find smaller fish. More than looking for the big fish on your sounder, you're actually looking for large amounts of smaller fish. And that's where you start hunting, because if you're hunting the hunter, you should hunt where the hunter's hunting. Okay. Yeah, I think I got that out the right way around. Yeah, yeah that sounds really good. Okay, cool. All right. Um, last question, and then we're going to head off. Um, Duncan wants to ask an annoying question about shafts. Um, preference on shafts, brand sizes for different environments. What, what what's your kind of what's your kind of? Uh, That's a good question and a tricky question. It is. Um, it, it all is. depends on what your gun setup is. So, the more power you want to have, the thicker, heavier shaft you need to have, which then takes more to push the thicker, heavier shaft. So the more power you have to have, so then the more thicker, heavier shaft you have to have, which then needs and it, it can become a bit of a cycle, mm. um, depending on the gun. But if I'm hunting normally off the local areas, I just use a seven mil stainless shaft um, with slightly less power so that it's very quick and very accurate, but it doesn't really have that punching force that you would get. Oh. Uh, if I'm going for bigger fish or say up north where the chance of having to shoot through denser fish at a higher distance 
mm. I'll go to a slightly heavier seven and a half mil stain, spring stainless shaft mm. and then add a bit more power behind that so that it's not as quick to the target but because you need more power to get through the target it's got more hitting force when it gets to the target if that makes sense hopefully mm. We're going to break the rule. Uh, Rowan Twinkletoes Vibicus asked, um, back to time of the day, um, have you noticed any sort of prevailing fish behaviour, like even amongst specific species around time of day? Yeah, um, one that stands out a lot we've noticed over the last few years is wahoo particularly like the run up to the high tide, and then they, particularly on manager structure, mm. and then they seem to disappear for the run out. And I don't know why, and that's not every time, but a lot of the time, they're really heavy on that run up to high tide. Mm. And that's just Southeast Queensland. It could be different anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Uh, another one is... Is the airplane's loud? That's okay. It, it, it just adds a build up. It does. Um, the other one that's a bit more Southeast Queensland is the larger jobfish tend to prefer northerlies. So if you're looking for large jobfish off Southeast Queensland, it's horrible days diving because it's dirty, it's cold, it's usually choppy but they'll be more prevalent on the the light northeasterlies than it would be on, say, a southeasterly or something else. They'll come closer to the reef, whereas with southeasterlies, they're further away. And it's the same with all fish. There'll be these little things, and that's why we always... Well, I know Shrek does. It's just to write everything down, because then you can start to see the patterns emerging. If you're relying just to be like, oh, yeah, no, nah, it'll remind me, oh, I'll remember, you, you forget little tiny nuances. Mm. But if you write it all down, you'll be like, oh, yeah, no, six months ago I shot let's say fish x here and it was a northerly ah then i shot fish x there as well and it was a northerly oh and today's a northerly let's go have a look swim mm. down bang there's your fish so mm. learning those patterns that your prey has mm. comes in handy you got to think of yourself like a serial killer a serial killer will pick its victim it'll stalk its victim it'll watch what it's doing writing down how and when it's best to capture that human mm. animal thing works just the same for spearfishing I love a dawn spear. I love being first in the water when the light's just starting to come up and the water's still too dark to really spear. Um, and but I also like nighttime too, where the fish go dumb as. There's yeah. just there's that half an hour there where they're just dumb as dog shit. They're all going back to their beds. And but Rowan Rowan knows this sort oh, of yeah. stuff. Oh, it also depends. The up the reason that a lot of sharks and predators will hunt at dawn and dusk is also the angle of the light through the water. Because go out next time you're in the water really early or really late, you'll notice that if you look with the beam of light, you can see 10, 15 metres. If you try and look through the beam of light, you can only see one or two metres. Mm. So what a lot of predators would use is this to their advantage. They'll <laughs> come up from the other side of the light and take the fish a lot easier because the fish can't see them instead of coming towards the fish with the direction of the light. <sighs> Sharks do that to spiros too. So it's always good to have someone watching from behind you <laughs> with the beam of light if you're in a very sharky area at dawn or dusk that's a good insight actually yeah uh, is, that, can, is can, that to do with refraction is that am i getting that right well it's more the reflection of the light off the particulates in the water so because yep. it's reflecting you can't the light reflecting off that means it's hard for you to see through it because the light's bouncing and heading up towards your eyes whereas when you look with the light the beam of light's showing you and you can kind of absorb more of the information through your retina yeah, um, but okay. you can also use that to hunt fish. Um, that's what I've done a few times trying to chase snapper is mm. you'll get down on the other side looking up through the beam of light at them above the ledge and you shoot up from the shadow through the light and into your snapper. Okay. Looks like um, oh, you've got some boys asking questions on there as well. But um, All right. Yeah. That's about wrapping it up, and uh, we're going to do a part two in a minute, but we need a smoko break, man. Oh, sounds good. Thank you all for watching and in the future listening. This is the first time I've attempted any of this technological stuff, so mm. I'm glad it didn't break. We're going to do a part two and probably just record that and release it a bit later, Indeed. but um, we're going to do a spearfishing southeast Queensland guide Ooh, and uh, get into some more specific stuff for the local scene, particularly for new divers, because let's be honest, it's great answering the same questions over and over and over again uh, on, on Southern Queensland spearfishing, but it'd be nice to have um, that sort of in a podcast and you can just point people to it. Done. Oh, sounds good. So, um, but anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, catch up. Catch in and thank episode. you for watching and thank you for your questions. Hey, 
hey, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of today's interview. It's a little bit rambling, a little bit all over the show, but uh, I always like to have a good laugh with Trevor. He's a he's a funny dude, and uh, get along, like we said, and follow Submerged Psychos, and uh, you can always reach out and talk to him. He's also on the Noob Spiro Community Facebook page. So if you've got any more questions relating to what we discussed today, don't be don't be uh, shy. Chuck them in there. I think there's already. You know, after the interview finished, we had about another five or six questions go up, so your questions will be welcome. Uh, yeah, so Reconnaissance 101 wrapped up, and hopefully in the next episode, I'm headed off to New Zealand to chat to two talented Lady Sparrows and see how that goes. We haven't had that interview yet, but I'm really looking forward to chatting to these two ladies. One is a champion, um, Alex, and the other one is probably, I think, the female Spiro with the worst luck in the world, and that's Catherine. So both funny ladies uh, all over Instagram, and we had that recommendation coming from a listener just like you. So stay tuned. And then another couple of weeks after that, spearfishing southern Queensland with Trevor Kitchen again. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Spiro, support the Spiro podcast and our efforts and help us get out and do some of these trips around the traps and come out go diving with you and do some interviews in your area but anyway guys have fun and be safe out there and i hope you are into some fish in the next few weeks catch ya Adreno Spearfishing are today's proud sponsor of the Noob Spiro podcast. They stock a huge range of equipment that you can find in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and now Perth. That's right, spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range of gear. I encourage you to get along, use the code Noob Spiro, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O and save yourself $20 on every purchase over $200 when you shop online.